we've actually, this is the second week that uh, we're diving into a series called The Practice. And the whole idea behind it is simply this, that a lot of times we hear about the Christian life, we hear about the importance of church, we hear about the importance of a relationship with Jesus, but we don't simply know sometimes what it means to actually be a practicing Christian. So maybe you subjected yourself, hey, I'm coming to church, I'm doing the Christian things, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, or I'm, at least I'm, temp- I'm attempting to, yet I still find myself maybe in a dry season, or I still find myself like I'm, I'm kind of bored with Christianity, or maybe not I'm bored, I'm just kind of tired, I, I feel like I've tried it for five to ten years, and to be honest with you, I feel like I'm not getting anything out of it. So really through this series, what we want to do is we want to just talk about what are the essential things that really make us who we are as Christians to live an actual joyful and peaceful life as a Christian? Not just somebody that claims um, we're Christians, but ultimately that we're experiencing the Christian life to the fullest um, extent. So before we dive into week two, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we pray that this morning that you would be with us. God, that this would not just be a series of words um, coming out of my mouth, but God, I pray that this morning that you would speak through me. God, I pray that ultimately that you would come into people's lives and you would break down walls, that you would break down barriers, anything that we've put up in the way that maybe is keeping us from being able to hear from you. God, I pray that right now that you would remove those things. God, I pray that we come today, God, with open hearts, with open eyes, with open ears. God, just willing to do whatever you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a little side note before before we kick this off. I think one of the best ways that you can actually practice listening to a sermon is two different things. Number one, don't listen for somebody else, listen for yourself. Because <laughs> oftentimes we sit there and we go, okay, man, this would, if, if my dad was here, or if my husband was here, or maybe you're sitting next to your wife and I may be saying something, the worst thing that you could do is like, <laughs> elbow her, like you better be paying attention to what he's saying right now. So the first thing that you need to do is, is listen for yourself. And then the second thing you need to do, and this is the most challenging part about it, if you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you and tugging on you, here's the thing, and this is one of the practices that you can make a regular habit of your life, as soon as you feel that conviction, as soon as you feel that tug, listen to it. Listen to it. Like if you're saying, okay, man, this is speaking to me, and I'm not talking about my words, but if you feel like God is speaking to you in a particular moment, man, jot that down. Make a note of that. God is speaking to me in this moment. It usually means that when you walk outside of these doors, that there is an action step required. Um, The most frustrated Christians are the ones that continue to hear the truth but never do anything about it, and therefore they live in guilt and shame over and over and over again. So two things. Listen to the sermon for yourself. And then the second thing is, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on you, man, go out and do something about it. So anyway, last week I talked about simply the first essential of being a Christian is simply this, falling in love with Jesus. Like before you can be a practicing Christian, you have to learn to fall in love with Jesus. The second thing that I want to talk about today is simply this, we must learn on a daily basis to be with Jesus. To be with Jesus. Um, in the scriptures, they, they, they call Jesus, that we say that we have a relationship with him as a brother or as a friend or as a father, which ultimately inquires that we are called to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. And here's the truth. You're never going to experience the joy or the peace or, or, or whatever you're looking for in Christianity if you don't learn on a daily basis to be with Jesus. The scripture would call it this, that we're actually called to be disciples of Jesus. 
Or another way to put it, I think, that in a modern day um, that maybe makes a little bit more sense to us is we're actually called to be an apprentice of Jesus. So if you know anything about an, an apprentice, it's somebody who sits underneath a master and studies their ways. So a few years ago, I worked for um, the Outdoor Channel making TV shows and stuff like that. And um, when I first got hired on into the studio, one of the first things I did is, that, one, they hired me because they saw potential in me. And it wasn't necessarily because I was the greatest. But they had a guy, and his role in there was the chief editor. My job was assistant editor, meaning I just did whatever he told me to do for a season. And one of the things that I learned about this is here's this guy who's been editing shows for probably 10, 15 years. He's very knowledgeable in what he's doing. And so for about the first two months, I mean, I literally stared at a computer screen with him trying to learn everything that he knew about the editing process. I already knew how to edit, but I never did TV shows. So I'm soaking up everything that I need to know about this information. And there was one thing that struck me in the middle of this relationship. Every single day, We'd sit down for hours and hours learning programs and learning how to cut and learning how to use the music and all this kind of stuff. And then there was something that struck me. I actually learned more about editing and the whole creative process and the whole film process um, sitting down with this guy at lunch rather than staring at a computer screen with him. And so what would happen is we used to take a daily routine every single day once we would edit all all the half of the day. And then for lunch, we would get away for about an hour and a half and we would sit down and we would just talk the whole creative process, what it looked like to make a good film, what it looked like to produce a good TV show. And we would just talk and talk and talk. And the longer that I surrounded myself with this guy, this chief editor, the more and more that I got better at my craft and the more and more I got better at what I was doing. And I learned something. I didn't get better just because I sat in front of a computer screen with this guy. I got better because I learned to be with this guy. And so ultimately in that whole process, I found it very important that lunch with him was a whole lot more important than just sitting together with a computer screen because the more that I was with him, the more that I became like him and the more that I was able to develop my craft. And it's the same thing within Christianity. You cannot learn how to be a Christ follower unless you learn to be with Jesus. This is the most important essential um, other than falling in love with Jesus. We have to learn on a daily basis to carve out time in our relationship with him simply just to be with Jesus. So here's the question. What does that look like practically? What does it look like practically to have a relationship with Jesus, to learn to be with Jesus? I think John 14 actually gives us a good start. And it says this. It says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Now, here's where it gets really important. Who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. So, So here's what Jesus is saying. If you want to learn to be with me, then you have to learn to be with the Holy Spirit. And I know oftentimes in church we don't really talk about, like, the Holy Spirit is kind of like the drunk uncle who kind of shows up to parties, but you don't really understand who he really is. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you mention the Holy Spirit, there's all these different kind of, like, maybe you went to a church and the Holy Spirit was some old lady waving a flag around and running around the church and shouting out expletives. I don't know, whatever, maybe that was just the church that I grew up in. But anyway, maybe the Holy Spirit is not very clear to you. But the truth is, in the scriptures, it says that the Holy Spirit ultimately is going to do far better things than Jesus ever did. So we have to really learn on a daily basis to connect with 
the Holy Spirit. So here's the primary goal of discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. It's learning to live in constant awareness of the Holy Spirit. Learning to live that every single day that you're in a constant awareness that Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. And here's the truth. There is no 10-step formula to having a relationship with Jesus. I mean, if you look at books today and you go to Barnes and Nobles or you go to Books A Million or you get on Amazon and you order a book and, and they have people that try to break it down. They try to break it down. If you want to have a better relationship with Jesus, you do these 10 things. And the truth is, maybe some of those are very helpful and maybe some of those will work. But at the end of the day, if you want to practice being with Jesus, you have to learn to remain with Jesus. So let me explain that. This is John 15, verse 1 through 4. And it's Jesus talking. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. He says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message. He's talking, if you've already been saved, then you've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Now watch this. Remain in me, and I will remain in in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So how do we take this practically? Here's what Jesus is saying. Unless you have an intimate personal relationship with me every single day, you're just going to get lost. Unless you learn to remain with the Father every single day, you're not going to produce fruit. Like the scripture says, how can a branch that has been severed from the vine grow a strawberry? It just can't. You can't produce fruit unless you learn to remain with Jesus. So here's the, best, here's the biggest question. How do we remain in the Father's presence constantly? And I think it's this. We have to learn to be two places at once. Every single day, we have to learn to be two places at once. So here's what this means practically. How many of you guys, just show of hands, how many of you have a, maybe a 10 to 20 minute, 30 minute commute to work every day? Anybody? You drive? Okay, a good bit of people that drive in here. So here's what this means, being two places at once. That when you're in your car, instead of listening to Fox News or NPR or whatever it is, the radio or whatever, man, you silence it and you have that moment. I may be going to work, I may be going into a busy schedule, but in this moment, I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God. Remaining, being in two places at once, maybe it means you waking up a little bit earlier, having a cup of coffee, and you sit down, and that cup of coffee just compels you to want to read your Bible or to want to pray. Or maybe it's simply, maybe you have some, maybe if you're a mom, you don't know what quiet time is, so maybe when you're, you finally close the door and go to the bathroom, you, you listen to a podcast or you read an article, or you do whatever you can in those moments when you have free time. So here's ultimately what I'm saying is your professional life and your Christian life are not two different lives. They are one and the same. And here's what, here's what too many people get caught up into. I have my Christian life with my Christian friends over here. I have my professional life with my professional friends over here. And this is my Jesus time. And this is my work time. And this is my family time. And the truth is what God is saying, we've got to learn to make them all one thing. They're not separate lives. They're one in the same. The thing that, um, I've mentioned this book before, but there was a book by um, Brother Lawrence. He was a 16th century monk, and he was a cook, but he loved Jesus, and uh, for like 20 years, he literally would just cook for his fellow friends and his brothers, and that's all he did, but in his journals, in a book called The Practice of the Presence, he literally, he says, listen, I had, from morning to night, I would cook soup, 
more, there was breakfast soup, there was lunch soup, there was dinner soups. I cooked soup all day. And he said, if you looked at it, um, technically you would look at my life and say, how in the world do you have time to even spend with Jesus? And he said, the thing that I learned is it doesn't have to be this set aside time. It, growing up in church, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but growing up in church, a lot of times we think that your relationship with Jesus has to be 15, 20 minutes set aside in the morning. You have to listen to Hillsong worship. You've got to open your Bible, and it has to be this certain set, this certain thing that happens. The thing that I love about Brother Lawrence's journal is he said, listen, I was cutting tomatoes in the kitchen or cooking soup, and I just learned to be in the presence of Jesus. And the truth is, you can have the same thing as well. And what is Brother Lawrence referencing to? He's saying, listen, I've got to remain in Jesus because the moment that I get outside of my relationship with Jesus, I'm disgusted with myself. You, you ever like said things that you regret? <laughs> you ever said a word that you, and you try to pull it back, but you can't? And oftentimes it's because you're severing yourself from the vine. When you find yourself traveling down a road and you're asking yourself the question, how in the world did I get here? It's usually because you're not remaining in Christ. No, I've noticed a pattern in my life when I am consistent and persistent about my relationship with Jesus, the temptation to resist sin is not this all-out battle. <laughs> it's just, okay, I, I choose this is wrong, this is death. If I go this way, it's not going to be good for me. I'm going to have guilt and shame that I follow. But I, I've found this. The, the, when I have times in my life or seasons when I'm not um, pursuing Jesus as I ought to be, I, I kind of look at sin and I go, well, I justify it, Right? Rather than, you know, going, no, this is wrong and this is right, when, I, when I'm not remaining in Christ, I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at certain situations in my life, and rather than just choosing what is wrong or what is right, I look at it and say, well, it's not that bad. And then that's when you find yourself in a place and you ask yourself the question, how in the world did I get here? And it's usually because of the fact that you're not remaining in Christ. So I want to talk about a concept um, because I think the question is, how do I continue to remain in Christ whenever life just happens? Because <laughs> the truth is, how do I remain in Christ? How do I stay in constant connection with Jesus? How do I learn to be with Jesus on an everyday, daily basis, but my life still goes on, right? I still have to go wake up in the morning. I still deal with my stressful job. I'm still married, and we still have conflict. I still have kids. I still have a busy schedule. Zach, how do I learn how to do that in the middle of my crazy, busy, chaotic life? And I think there's one thing. My wife and I have talked about this since the very beginning of the church, and it's simply this. Every single day is a fight to know Jesus. Every single day. Every single day that you wake up, you have to realize one thing— Every single day, I'm waking up and I'm walking into a war zone. And if I'm not remaining in Christ and if I'm not preparing my heart and guarding my affections and guarding those things, then I'm walking into a fight and I'm going to be pretty bloody at the end of the day. So every single day, it's a constant effort. It's a constant strive to know Jesus. And sometimes, to be honest with you, it's a fight. There's going to be days when you wake up in the morning and you want to connect with God. And then there's going to be days when you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't even want to pray today. I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to think about reading my Bible. And then your husband's like, hey, babe, or your wife's like, hey, babe, you know, you should probably pursue Jesus. And you're like, I don't want to. <laughs> so you're going to have these days where sometimes you ride this roller coaster of emotion. And I think as Christians, the biggest trap that we fall into sometimes is that once we've served Jesus long enough that apparently we're going to arrive at this pinnacle and all of a sudden everything is just going to be great. And every single day we're going to wake up 
and the Christian life is just going to be smooth sailing from there. But the truth is, if you really want to know Jesus, you're going to have to fight for it. So I'm going to read a scripture in 2 Timothy, and this is Paul talking. And he says this, he says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. But I love this. Here's what he says in verse 7. But I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Now here's the thing. This is the goal of Christianity, that one day, when you're 80, 90, 100 years old, that you're laying on your deathbed, and you can say the same thing that Paul did. Man, you know what? I'm looking back on my life, and yeah, did I have some struggles? Did I have some trials? Did I go through some things? Did I do some things that I regret? Sure. But at the end of the day, I'm confident in one thing that I fought. I fought every single day to live out the faith, to connect with Jesus. Did I go through some bumpy patches? Of course I did. But listen, I never lost my fight. And here's, I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning. I think the reason that some of you are so frustrated in your walk with Jesus today is because you've lost your fight. You've lost your fight to know Jesus. And you've drifted over to a side of, I know Jesus is what I need. I know church is what I need. I know a relationship with God is what I need, but I'm just going to kind of drift along. I'm just going to kind of ride the wave of life and wherever it takes me, I'll just deal with it. I'll just get through it. I'll just keep moving on. But here's the truth. Paul can say that he finished the race well because he continued to fight. He never got to a place where he lost his fight. Now, that's not to say that he never got to a place where he wasn't discouraged. As I read last week, it says that some of the disciples were sitting in, de- in, in jail and they're looking at their grim situation and their circumstances. And it says the thought of l- even living another day was like... We can't even bear it. So I'm not saying that you're not going to go through discouraging times. But listen, you can keep fighting because if you keep remaining in Christ, you're going to understand that there's a greater prize behind all of it. And ultimately that God, when you get to understand it, you understand that God is the one fighting your battles. So here's the truth. I want you to remember this one thing. If you remember anything today, remember this. Anytime your life seems out of out of order, Anytime your life seems chaotic, anytime your life seems like it just doesn't make sense, it's a failure to fight to know Jesus. (laughs) Anytime your life doesn't make sense, anytime you look at your circumstances and you find yourself in a frame of mind where you're just freaking out, you're stressed out, it usually is a failure to fight to know Jesus. The position of your life right now is directly connected to your relationship with Jesus. You know, my dad used to say it all, he even said it this morning. He says, you're as close to Jesus as you choose to be right now, in this very moment. Right now, in this very moment, you're as close to Jesus as you want to be. It's not like somebody else in this room has some kind of spiritual connection to God that you don't. The same Holy Spirit that lives in me has the opportunity to live in you. (laughs) The same Holy Spirit that lived inside of the disciples, you have the same access to the same Holy Spirit. He's no different than he was 2,000 years ago than he is today. Ultimately, 
Anytime something is not going right in your life or it seems out of order, it is usually because we have lost our fight. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity is not the easy route. (laughs) It's not the easy route. But the truth is, it's the only route that has any joy connected to it. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's difficult. And sometimes you may ask yourself the question, what in the world did I sign up for? (laughs) Be open about my sin. I don't like that. (laughs) Be connected in community. I don't don't want that. And, And listen, the truth is, sometimes it's difficult. But the truth is, God knows that. But I want to remind you of a verse in Romans 8, 13, and it says this, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now John Owen, a famous theologian, put it this way. He kind of summed up Romans 8, 13, and he put it in very modern terms. And he says this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. I love that version of it. You know, the truth is, you can't, like, pick fights with sin. You can't tame sin. You can't, like, teach it to do tricks. You can't hide it for long enough. Because the truth is, the more and more that you suppress it, the more and more that you push it down, the more and more that it takes a hold of you. So this is what John Owen is simply saying, what Romans 8 is saying, be killing it or it will be killing you. If you're not fighting, then you're dying. That's just the truth. And so here's what we got to learn, that ultimately... You being with Jesus, there should be nothing that comes in the way of that. There's no substitute for solitude and prayer with Jesus. Nothing. There should be nothing in your schedule that is more important than being with Jesus on a daily basis. Nothing. Not your wife, not your husband, not your kids, not your job. Nothing is more important than connecting with Jesus. Because here's the truth. If you can't learn to connect with Jesus, then what do you have to offer your wife and your kids? All you have to offer them is what the scriptures talk about. You have to offer your flesh. (laughs) You have to offer yourself, and outside of that, it's not too much. Romans 8 continues, or it says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Those are in the flesh cannot please God. So, So let me put it to you this way. I want you to consider a famous story in the Bible. I think most of us know the story. But the night before Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he looks at his disciples, and he said, hey, listen, some really bad stuff is about to play out. He's trying to warn them. He doesn't tell them exactly what's going to happen, but he said, listen, some bad stuff is going to play out. Some things are going to happen that you're not going to like. So here's what I need you to do. I need you. I'm going to go up here. I'm going to go pray. You guys go off over here. You pray. You seek God. Get your heart right. Prepare yourself for what's about to happen. Jesus knows what's about to happen. And so he's trying to prepare the disciples for what's about to happen as well. So Jesus goes off to pray, and the disciples, they go off to sleep. It's, it's like midnight, and it's kind of one of those things where, like, God, like, you can go pray and be all spiritual, but I'm tired. <laughs> and so they go off, and they pray, and then literally, within the next few hours, they get woken up. There's all these Roman guards around them, and Peter does two things. 
When they're going to take Jesus, they arrest Jesus. Peter takes out his sword and he chops off a dude's ear. He's like, take that. I just cut your ear off. You're not taking Jesus. And Jesus is like, well, he just picks up the ear, puts it back on the guy's head, heals him. Which at that point, if you're like, I wouldn't want to arrest that guy that just put my ear back on. You know what I mean? You just, side note. Um, but then a few hours later, Jesus is dying on the cross, and not only a few hours early, uh, Peter chopped off a guy's ear, but now Peter's in the square, and they're persecuting Jesus, and some people look over at Peter, and they say, hey, weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? He goes, no, I don't even know who that is. And ultimately, what happens? Three times, he denies Jesus. And I want you to notice something here. I'm not saying that Peter is a bad guy, Ultimately, Peter was human, just like you and me. He dealt with anger in that moment. You're not going to rush Jesus. I'm going to chop your ear off. Then he also dealt with fear in that moment. He denied Jesus because he was fearful. Man, if they're beating him like that and I, and I associate with him, what are they going to do to me? But here's what happened. Back up the story. Jesus knew what was about to happen, right? Jesus knew that he was going to be arrested. Jesus knew that he was going to the cross. That wasn't changing. And he told Peter... Go privately and pray. So here's what happens. What is true of Peter is true of all of us. We fall in private before we ever fall in public. See, Jesus knew the temptation that was coming, and he said, hey, go be with me. Because if you can be with me, you'll get your heart right. And if you can get your heart right, when these Roman guards come, you'll be in the right place, and you'll probably respond correctly. But Peter chose to go to sleep, and he chose to do his own thing. And what happens? It does, it's the same thing that happens to all of us. When we don't prepare our heart, when we don't set aside time to be with Jesus, and life's temptations come to us, what do we do? We fall. We give in. Because ultimately, in private, that secret time, that time in the morning, that time at lunch, whatever time that we were supposed to be setting aside to spend time with Jesus, we kind of just brush it off, and when temptation comes, it mows over us. There's a quote that D.A. Carson actually wrote, and I think I've read it before, but it's just one of the best things that I could think of to um, be an example for what I want to communicate. And he says this, People do not drift towards holiness. It says, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. This is what he says. This is what we drift to. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. So what is he saying? He's saying this, the natural bend of your heart is not to pursue Jesus. So you don't wake up in the morning and just go, oh man, I'm closer to God than I was yesterday. He said the natural bend of the human heart is to drift further and further and further and further away from God. That's just the natural DNA. That is the natural bend of the human heart. We are drawn towards sin outside of Christ. How many of you ever been to a beach and you, you've been swimming and then you pop your head back up 30 minutes later and you look and your towel's like a mile that way, right? 
You didn't realize it, but all along you had slowly been drifting. And that's what happens in our relationship with Jesus. The very moment that we decide not to pursue Jesus on a daily basis, we find ourselves a year later and we ask ourselves the question, what happened? How did I get here? And it's not because you made just one or two big decisions that got you there. It was just small decisions over time that now put you in that place of being stuck. So the first point that I want to make in all of this, if you want to learn to be with Jesus, you have to understand one thing. You will never drift towards holiness. Ever. You'll never drift towards being closer with Jesus. It has to be a very intentional effort that you set aside every single day. I've used this analogy before, but I can't think of a better one. You know, when the musicians get up here, and they grab their guitars, what do they do? The first thing that they do is they tune their instrument, right? Because here's the, here's the truth. If Corey's up here playing the guitar and he had all of his fingers in the right spot and he's playing a G chord, but it's not tuned, it's not going to sound like a G. <laughs> and then you're going you're gonna to sit in the back trying to worship and going, man, what is that god-awful noise? What is that sound? Because it's not in tune, it's not in sync, and so every musician that plays an instrument, especially a stringed instrument, if they're a good one, they're always crazily thinking about, am I in tune? Before they pick up their guitar, before they do any set, they tune it because they know one thing. If I'm not in tune, I can put my fingers in all the right positions and it's still not going to sound right. And here's the truth, your heart is exactly like a musical instrument. Exactly like it. Every single day, you're going to have to tune it back to be in the presence of the Lord. Because all throughout the day, this is what's going to happen. You're going to tune yourself in the morning. You're going to spend time with Jesus. You're going to have this phenomenal prayer time with God. The coffee is going to be awesome. The worship is going to be great. And then you're going to walk out of the door and life bumps you. <laughs> you show up to the office and your boss is like, you're late. Oh, I ain't late. And then what, what happens? You erupt into something. Or your wife calls you and says, hey, babe, I don't know what's going on, but we're $10 negative. <laughs> and all of a sudden, bump, and then bump after bump after bump happens, and it keeps happening, and it keeps happening. So what do we have to do as a human? We retune our heart every single day. And here's the truth. The longer you go without tuning that guitar, the worse and worse that it's going to sound. You could have one string that's maybe a little flat and maybe you can get away with it and you can play it for a little bit and maybe people that aren't musicians in the crowd, they may not notice it. But then you're going to start having people picking it up and then if you go another day without tuning it, it's going to get worse. And if you go another day without tuning it, it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse. Before you know it, it just sounds awful. And I find that a lot of times that's how a lot of Christians are. Man, maybe, maybe you know a few scripture verses. Maybe you have a few things memorized. Maybe you have a few Christian corny quotes memorized to your memory. <laughs> well, you know what? God's just, he's never going to give me more than I can handle. That's wrong. <laughs> Truth is, God often gives you more than you can handle so that you can rely on him. So maybe you rely on these scripture verses, you rely on these quotes, and you realize, man, why is it not working? Because there is power in the scripture, but the truth is, if your heart's not tuned, you're never going to see the power that holds within it. You're never going to be able to align up to what it's trying to say. 
In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, it says this, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs? But only one person gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will one day fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, I love this, what Paul's saying. He says, everybody in life, everybody in a relationship with Jesus, we all run, but we've got to run to win. <laughs> How many of you guys, any, any like just competitive-natured people in here? Anybody? Come on, show of hands. Any competitive people? How many of you hate to lose? Like, I, you don't want to invite me and my wife over at, a, like, a party. Like, we are, if we're playing card games or board games, we are, like, we're that loud, loud family. You cheated! <laughs> I didn't cheat. I just played my hand. No, you cheated. Because I'm not going to lose. So I will cheat. <laughs> True story. Um, But every time, I've always been like this, every time I play a game, I play to win. Every My wife is the same way. We're two extremely competitive people. I remember a long time ago, we were in my backyard. I'm probably about 14 years old, and my, my parents knew that I had this kind of bend towards adrenaline, or if I'm around like other people, I just tend to hurt people. I don't know how it happens. I just tend to hurt people because I play rough when I play things. And so I remember we had this neighborhood girl come over, and she's probably maybe four years younger than me, and it's me, my brother, and this neighborhood girl jumping on this trampoline, and we took this um, bouncy ball, or this big like blow-up ball, and we put it on the trampoline, and the object of the game was you jump as high as you can, and you can't get touched by the ball. And so we're jumping around, and we have, we have a net on the, on the trampoline, and so the ball's not coming out. We're jumping around, having a good time, and my mom comes out, and she said, hey, listen, that girl is four years younger than you. Stop jumping so hard. You're going to hurt somebody. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay, so we keep jumping. We keep jumping, and this girl lands right next to me, and I, boom, I jump, and she double bounce, and it's like this slow motion thing. You know you have made a massive mistake, and you're like, oh, my God. She lands face first on the metal bar. Boom! Splits her head wide open. And I immediately, my brother Andrew's on there. I'm like, what have you done? <laughs> you, I can't believe you. I split her head wide open. Why? Because sometimes I get carried away in the game. Sometimes I take it too seriously. Sometimes I'm way too competitive and I split people's heads open. <laughs> But here's the truth. The thing that I don't understand about some people is in Christianity, why play the game if you're not in it to win? I was talking to our leadership team this Friday, and I was saying, ever since I was a young kid, I, I never understood one thing. And I see it happen all the time. We know that we want a relationship with Jesus, and so here's what some of us do. We walk into these church doors, we hear a sermon, we get convicted, we walk out of the doors, and we do nothing about it. And here's what happens. We repeat that cycle over and over and over and over. And my thinking is this, like, why do you keep subjecting yourself to such torture? <laughs> 
Because you come in here, the Holy Spirit just, boom, blasts you with something, convicts you about something. You feel guilty. You feel shameful for it. And then you walk out of the, the doors, and we do nothing about it. And then we're just like, great, I'll be back next Sunday to get another beating. <laughs> and, and, and the truth is, God has, he has no intention to smack you down. He has no intention to hold anything over you. The only reason that he convicts us with things is, one, it's not to beat us over the head. It's not to make us feel all the shame and guilt. It's just to say, hey, listen, that stuff that you're dealing with, like, I can actually do something about it. Maybe you can let go of your fears or your insecurities or whatever it is going on. But the truth is, man, if we're going to do this thing, if we're going to do this thing that we call the Christian life, if we're going to be in a connection and a relationship with Jesus, let's do it to win. Let's do it to be a part of it to the fullest extent that we possibly can. That at the end of the day, we don't want to just enter the race and, yeah, I'm okay with 10th. I'm okay, like, if you, like, if, I, I'm not even okay with second. You're the first loser if you're second, right? So listen, the most joyous thing that you can ever be a part of is an intentional relationship with Jesus. That you learn to be with Jesus on a daily basis. But here's the truth momentary comfort will always be at war with eternal gain. And here's what I mean by that. So in the Netflix, Facebook, social media, TV, technology-driven world, momentary comfort is always going to be at war with what really matters. So meaning this, how many of you ever said this? Man, I know I need to pursue Jesus right now, but it's just been a long week. I know I haven't connected with God in a while, but you know what? I just need some time to myself. I'm going to watch one show on Netflix. One show. And then all of a sudden, like 10 hours later, you're like, oh my God, what time is it? I haven't eaten in like three days, and I just watched like five seasons, right? Or we, we get on Facebook, and we scroll for hours and hours and hours and hours. Or we, we jump on YouTube, and we, we click on one video. I'm just going to watch one more, and then we watch another one and watch it. And then you look back on it like two hours later, and you're like, what am I, what am I watching? <laughs> and are those things bad? No, they're not bad. But sometimes, because we are flesh, we look at the momentary comfort and, oh, I just need to relax. I just need to do this. I just need to give in to this because this is going to give me the peace and the joy that I want. And we give in to momentary comfort in those seasons rather than what really matters. Rather than carving out time to be with Jesus. It's not that TV is bad. It's not that Facebook is bad. It's not that Netflix or Hulu or Amazon is bad. It's just oftentimes the good things in life, the things that you can justify, are usually the things that pull you away from your relationship with Jesus. It's not usually the most sinful things. It's usually things that you can say, well, TV, it's not sinful. At least I'm not at the bars getting hammered, right? So we can look at it, and it's justifiable. And oftentimes, if you look at your life, the things that are usually good, the things that are usually not blatant sin, are usually the things that are distracting you from your relationship with Jesus, so all it is is we've got to look down at how much time that we give to certain things in our life and go, are these pulling me away from connecting with God? So here's a, a question that we can ask ourselves. What good things in our life are robbing our free time and causing us to drift? What good things? Is it, is it too much TV? Is it too much Facebook? I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but this is just how I have to work. Like, when I, when I get into something, I get into it. So if I'm in Facebook, like, I'm all in Facebook, right? 
So for me, because I'm a sh- an extremist, just that's how my personality is, for me to realize, when I look at my life and, okay, I'm on it too much, I can't just go, okay, I'm going to limit myself to 20 minutes. Some of you guys can. And maybe you're more disciplined than I am. For me, it's like, okay, I got to get rid of it for like a month. I've got to get rid of it for two weeks because I'm an extremist with everything. Like I'm either serving Jesus or I'm not. <laughs> that's just how I am with things. And so for some of you, maybe you have to look at certain things in your life and go, okay, do I need to cut this out right now so that I can get back to where I need to be? What are the things that are robbing your time? Because remember, at this moment, you're as close to God as you choose to be. The second thing, and I'll close with this. The second thing is you've got to continually make war against your flesh. Romans 8 puts it this way, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Father. So I believe the Christian life is a life that is made up of fighting, fighting to remember where God has pulled us from. I've I've said it before, but the most attractive thing to Christianity to me is that there is no other religion in the world where you had a God that died for you. There's no other religion in the world where you have a Savior that says, I'll take you where you're at right now. None. There's no other religion in the world that says, listen, I know your past, I know your history, I know everything that you've done, but I still want you. Like, that's the Father who actually wants to have a relationship with us. But there's also something about war that heightens our senses, doesn't it? See, if you live in a constant state of fighting, then you're always aware of the dangers that are after you. The moment that you stop fighting is the moment that you become less aware and the moment that the enemy begins to grab a hold of you. So I remember years ago hearing the story of a soldier who had been abandoned by his troops, not intentionally, but they're out in the middle of fighting and he wakes up one morning and his whole troops are gone and they are in the middle of some enemy fire all over the place. And he said, for two and a half days, I didn't sleep, I didn't eat. All I did was I stayed with my back up against a tree and I listened to everything. And he said, what's crazy is this. He said, in those two and a half days, he, felt, I, he said, I felt like every sense in my body was so alive. I, he said, I, I felt like I could hear a twig snap from a mile away. I felt like I could hear things that I, I normally couldn't hear. He said, I felt like I could see things that I couldn't normally see. And he said, the reason that I felt that I could do this is because all I could think about in this moment is, if I don't stay aware, I'm going to die. The moment that I take a break, the moment that I downshift, the moment that I relax is the moment that the enemy is going to get me. And he actually kept himself alive for two and a half days and ends up getting out of the whole thing and his troops end up finding him. But the truth is the reason that he stayed alive is because he never let his guard down. And oftentimes it happens in Christianity. The moment that you stop fighting to pursue God on a daily basis is the moment that the enemy creeps in. Because here's what happens. It's the moment that all of your senses go down 
It's the moment that you say, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal, and you start to justify certain sins. This is why the Bible is so incredibly powerful. This is why the scriptures are so incredibly powerful. There's so many Christians today that say, man, I just wish I could hear the voice of God without failing to realize that you have an entire book filled of God's words. <laughs> that ultimately, that you can hear from God every single day just by simply reading the scriptures. You know, every time I've been intentional about reading my Bible, I've always had God speak to me. Every single time. Every time that I read it, I've always felt like him. Sometimes it hasn't been much. And other times it's been a lot, but every single time God has met me when I've needed him. So to quote Paul again, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have remained faithful. Isn't that what we all want to end up saying? In the end, and the truth is, some of it, our end may be in 20, 30, 40 years. For some of us, our end may be tomorrow. I'm not trying to be grim, it's just the reality of the world that we live in. And that's why I think that it's so important to take every single day so seriously. Every single day. In James, it talks about where Paul meets these people, and they're talking about, oh yeah, well, tomorrow, and when we trade in the markets, and we do this, we'll get around to that next week. And he looks at them and says, what if you don't have tomorrow? Your life is like a vapor, here and gone tomorrow. So here's the truth. Like God is saying, you can't just hear something like this and say, okay, well, I'll start fighting, you know, when I feel strong enough. I'll start fighting when I feel comfortable. I'll start fighting when, you know, I get some things organized and arranged in my life. And God's saying, no, just jump on now. Because the truth is, the moment that you jump on, that is the moment that God starts to bring healing in your own life. So here's the truth. What are we making war against every single day? The truth is we're making war against ourselves and what we want and what we desire. Listen, nobody goes to hell because of Satan. Zach McCann goes to, to hell because of Zach McCann if that happens. At the end of the day, I'm my greatest enemy, right? So it means this, that I've got to constantly fight this flesh. That the Spirit of God in me has to be greater than my flesh. And the only way that the Spirit of God gets bigger than my desires and what I want and the temptations that I want to fall into is by every single day carving out time to be with Him. So I believe this as I close. If Jesus were here today, which He is in this moment, I believe that He would say this to you. Just, would you have coffee with me? <laughs> Come hang out with me. Come be with me. Come be friends with me. See, that's the essential. That is the practice of being with Jesus. If you want to be a Christ follower that is full of joy, that's full of peace, you have to learn to be with Jesus. See, the first thing, as I talked about last week, man, you've got to fall in love with Jesus. You've got to realize what he's done for you. The second thing that we covered today is simply this. You've got to fight to know Jesus every single day. And here's the beauty of it. The longer that you fight, you're going to realize one thing. The more mature that you get in Christ, it's not going to be this epic drag-out battle between you and temptation and sin. You will get to a place, finally, you will get to a place eventually where you can say, that's death, this is life, I choose life. You will get to that place. 
In the beginning, it will be that epic draw-out kind of battle. I'll close with one story, and then I want to leave you with a thought. A few years ago, we moved from Jennings to Crowley. And your brain actually creates pathways when you take a certain way home every single day, right? Like when I would wake up in the morning and I would go to the office and do my work, I'd drive back to my house the same way because our brain just likes that consistency. Although I think mine is a little different. I just change it up all the time. But in your brain, you have this developed pathway when you leave work to go home. You probably don't realize it, but you probably usually take the same way home drive that way and you get that way so when we moved my brain was still conditioning itself to go to Crowley and for a while I was still working in the offices in Jennings and I remember a few distinct times I would leave the office and I would drive to my house and I'd show up in the driveway on Harrington Street in Jennings and I'd go oh wait I don't live here anymore and I had to recondition my brain to pull my truck out of the driveway and drive all the way back to Crowley And it's the same way in our relationship with Jesus. In the very beginning stages, your brain is going to want to go, I want to go here. I want to choose death. I want to choose this because this is what I know. But the more and more that you fight to know Jesus, you're going to reorder that pathway and you're going to realize you're going to pull up to that driveway of sin, that driveway of temptation and go, hold on, I don't live here anymore because I'm a child, I'm a son of God. And you back out of the driveway and you drive back to what is life. See, that's what God wants to do for you today. That you reorder that pathway. Some of you, you're stuck in situations and you're going, I don't know how I'm going to get out of it. Fight to pursue God on a daily basis and God will rewire the things in your life. It's a proven fact. So you may pull into the driveway of sin, but the longer and longer that you pursue Jesus, guess what? You'll start backing out of it start backing out of that driveway and say, no, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't live here anymore. I don't do that anymore. That's not who I am anymore. Maybe at one point in my life, that's, that's who I was and that's what I did. But God freed me from that life and I back out of that driveway and I go back to what is true. And I go back to the only thing that gives me life. And the only way that you go back there is fighting every single day to know Jesus.